0: before so the king asked me why does your face look so sad when you are not ill this can be nothing but sadness of heart I was very much afraid but I said to the king may the king live forever why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire the king then said to me what is it you want Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, May I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal parks, that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates, And gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we consider this narrative... We pray for insight and understanding as always into who you are, into who we are, and into the kind of relationship you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. Amen. Well, it's great to see everybody here again today on Zoom from around the country and around the world. Carl, thanks for uh, that great uh, introduction to yourself today, and the beard is looking Fantastic, by the way. You have an amazing beard. So um, we are continuing our fall. I always have to have a beard shout out when when possible. We are continuing our fall series called Kingdom Living in a Politically Divided World, where we are wrestling with the question of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in a divided political environment like we find ourselves in today. And so uh, for those listening or watching at a later time, we are but two and a half weeks from the 2020 general election, and what a turbulent time had it been during this election season. Now, you can, I'm excited to tell you that you can catch up with previous messages in this series at adventhope.org because we have finally reestablished our podcast. Elijah has been working diligently to get that back up and running, and so you can get to the backlog of messages both from this message and from our previous message, Parables of the Kingdom, on adventhope.org. And we hope to keep adding to that the weeks going forward. So next week, we're gonna hear from a friend of Advent Hope who recently won an election in California and yet also functions as an active member of his local church. He's gonna come and join us. We're gonna have share an interview together uh, as he talks about this this uh connection between being a part of a local church and serving his community as an elected council person. And so as a lead into that conversation, our text of emphasis today focuses on one of the many civic leaders in the Bible. And so we looked at Nehemiah chapter 2 for our text of emphasis today, and I think there are several important highlights to consider from this uh, text of emphasis. So firstly, uh, a little background. So Nehemiah was among the Israelite people, still dispersed from their homeland after the exile which had been initiated uh, over 100 years before by King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. So, meanwhile, the Babylonian Empire had fallen, and now uh, Nehemiah held an important position in the court of the Persian Empire ruled by Artaxerxes that had superseded the Babylonian Empire. So apparently, Nehemiah was well regarded by Artaxerxes, and he is one of many examples of exiled uh, Jewish people attaining to positions of influence in the civic government in the area in which they lived, the most prominent being the prophet Daniel from a generation before Nehemiah. Now, it had been some 90 years since the first group of Israelites were allowed to go back to Jerusalem after the exile. So when Nehemiah heard the report, which you can read about in Nehemiah chapter one, that things were not great in Judah and in Jerusalem specifically, it would make sense that his heart was, uh, was upset, that he was downtrodden. Because again, he, uh, the, the exile people from exile, many of them had gone back 90 years before. And actually just about 13 years before Ezra, who has his own book in the Bible, had returned to work on the wall. So it must have been discouraging to hear that things were not going well. And so he was concerned about the condition of the city that, uh, that was his, from his homeland and the safety of the people who had returned from exile to live and rebuild Jerusalem. So it's in this context that we get to our text of emphasis today, again found in Nehemiah chapter 2, and we started with verse 1. Uh, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the king, or a cupbearer for the king, and the king uh, noticed after Nehemiah had received this report from Jerusalem about how bad things were, that he was discouraged. If you've ever had your boss ask you how you're doing after a rough night, you maybe can relate to Nehemiah. He's wrestling with uh, this bad news, and uh, that is obviously affecting his job performance, or at least uh, his, his... as ambiance at uh, work. And so upon being asked what the matter was, Nehemiah explained uh, the issue. And then the King followed up asking, what is it you want? Which is an incredible uh, question from from, uh, uh, a boss, especially when your boss is the the King, whatever you want. And uh, I would imagine Nehemiah is like, this is crazy. I can't believe the King is asking me this. And, uh, Here I'm going about my business, serving wine, and the king uh, wants to know what's going on in my life and actually seems interested, and I get to make a life-changing business pitch. So uh, we read in the narrative that he whispered a prayer and then made this bold request. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. It was a pretty big spur-of-the-moment business pitch. I want you to send me for a period of time out to the country to work on reestablishing one of the foreign cities under your control. Despite the audacious nature of their crest, it was well-received and we're told that DMI was actually sent out with a, a squadron from the army to help him. Now, there are several important lessons that we can learn Uh, from this story. And what it means for us is we're again wrestling with this question of of what it means to be a part of God's kingdom today in this politically divided world. Certainly uh, the the time of Nehemiah was also a time of great political strife. And so we can learn a few things from the Nehemiah story. Firstly, uh, this story of Nehemiah reminds us that we are all part of a long process of God's work in the world. You know, Nehemiah wasn't the first to express concern for the city of Jerusalem and wasn't the first to go back and help Jerusalem. God had already been at work before Nehemiah, and so Nehemiah was playing a part in a much broader story. And so in essence, Nehemiah was just getting on board with what God was already doing. It's a great reminder for us. God is at work in this world. He hasn't given up on those, this world. He's at work in this wor- world. And th- therefore, when guided by the Spirit, we can be bold in our requests for godly outcomes because we know God is doing his thing. God is already at work. And so we're getting on board with that. And part of that is being bold in making requests for God's work to see the light of day in this broken world. We also see from the story that involvement in the civic Administration of your place of residence, even if it's not your homeland, is a blessing and can allow you to do much good for the work of God in your community and in the world. I mean, Nehemiah is in a, a foreign land for, for all intents and purposes. Even though he may have lived there most of his life, he's he's in a, a foreigner at some level, and that, yet here he is intimately involved in the government, in the civic work of his region, and he's a blessing, apparently. The, the king sees gives him high favor. So something is going on where he has been a blessing to this, to this community that he's a part of. Uh, with that said, it is important to note that you got to be prepared for opposition to your work. You know, Nehemiah knew there would be adversity ahead. That's why he asked for the letters from the governors around Jerusalem. He wanted to be prepared because he knew there was potential for adversity. Uh, And then finally, we were reminded that followers of God through the ages and members of the kingdom of God today have been instructed to continue to be active participants when possible in the broader social structure of our world. Nehemiah, serving in the government of Artaxerxes, he actually was following the prophet Jeremiah's counsel who came several generations before and, uh, and gave these words. This is Jeremiah chapter 29. And Jeremiah was writing this to those exiles, those who had been taken out of uh, Israel, who had been taken from Jerusalem. He writes these words when they first went into exile. This is Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7. Jeremiah said, on behalf of the Lord, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's kind of a profound message. They were going to enemy territory, Babylon, no less. And Jeremiah tells the exiles, you are to seek the prosperity of the city. In fact, you should pray for the prosperity of the city of Babylon. So after sending this message through Jeremiah, God then, of course, established Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, among other Israelites, to be officials in the Babylonian government. So again, Nehemiah was a descendant of a long line of followers of God to, who were to become influential participants in the political administrations of the governments of the land in which they were resided, and in this case, were even exiled. Now, despite All of the biblical examples of God's people actively engaging in the building up of the neighborhoods, the cities, and the nations in which they lived through political engagement. Many Adventist Christians have conversely sequestered themselves away from broader society outside of our faith community and and entirely avoided civic engagement and political positions. Why is this? That's our question today. Why is this? What's with the avoiding civic engagement and political positions specifically on, in, in the context of the Adventist tradition? Now, I recognize not everyone here today is, is Adventist. Uh, with that said, we're going to talk a little bit about the Adventist tradition because we want to get at Why have Adventists avoided getting engaged in, uh, in civic engagement? Why are are Adventists not more engaged in their their local government and what's going on in the communities, in the places that we live? What is going on? And I think there are a bunch of answers to this question, but three I want to talk with you specifically about today. First of all, again, we're talking about the context of the Adventist tradition. While we believe that Jesus is coming soon or coming imminently, we infer that because of that, what we do here to help life on planet earth and within our local community while we wait for Jesus to return doesn't really matter that much. The belief in Jesus' return has to some extent made us indifferent to the societal needs in the present world. We treat the affairs of the world like some people treat a rental car. Well, It's not mine. I'm returning it tomorrow. So it doesn't matter what happens to it or what I leave in it or what dent I put in it. It's going back to its original owner and I have nothing to do with it. But this is an unbiblical stance. In fact, the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus, says this. This is Revelation chapter 11 verse 18. The time has come for judging the dead and for those destroying those who destroy the earth. So a Jesus in the book of Revelation is, is killer. Time will come when there's going to be a judgment. And part of that judgment is, is a destroying those who destroy the earth, who aren't thoughtful about what has happened on planet earth. Being engaged in the affairs of this earth is an important part of being a resident of this earth, but also being a resident of the kingdom of heaven. Not caring for the present, For the earth is something worthy of judgment according to the book of Revelation. People who are waiting for the return of Jesus should be most concerned with the present state of the world and should be most actively working toward justice and equity in society at large today because in a just and equitable world, more people will see the goodness of the grace of God and join in the waiting for his return. Famed Christian author C.S. Lewis, he said it like this. I'm going to read a quote from C.S. Lewis, so, so bear with me. Hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. So Lewis is asserting thinking about the future is is important, incredibly important. Thinking about the world to come and thinking about the return of Jesus is absolutely essential. He goes on to say, it does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next world. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great people who built things up through the ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with the world to come. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. It seems a strange rule, Lewis says. But something like it can be seen at work in other matters. Health is a great blessing. But the moment you make health one of your main direct objectives, you start becoming a crank and imagining there is something wrong with you. You are only likely to get health provided you want other things more. Food, games, work, fun, open air in the same way. We shall never save civilization as long as civilization is our main object. We must learn to want something else even more. Lewis is, is making a couple points here. First, he uses this great illustration of health. He's saying that you know health for health's sake isn't actually a worthy goal. If you're only motivated by being healthy, that's not a motivation for enough people. But if you recognize that being healthy makes you feel better and allow you to do things that you might not be able to do otherwise and helps you to be a better parent, a better friend, a better spouse, then being healthy makes sense if it isn't an end unto itself. In the same way, in the same way, a desire for the return of Jesus and for the world to come... um, it can't just be for its own sake if your desire for a world to come is only about living in the world to come this isn't sufficient motivation but if your desire is for healed relationships healed inner selves and the healing of the nation then the world to come is a motivation heaven for heaven's sake isn't a worthy goal as Lewis is saying if you really want the results that God has promised, healing in the world to come, that motivation for those things will inspire you to start working for those things in the present world, even if you know they will never be fully fulfilled here. Therefore, we cannot become cynical about engagement with the present world. Very, very early Adventist. Again, we're talking about the Adventist tradition for a minute today. Very early Adventists believed in this idea of what has become known as the shut door, which basically asserted that everyone who is going to be a part of the kingdom had already been decided, and there was nothing anyone could do about it. So they were waiting for Jesus. They believed that he was going to come, and they're like, actually, everybody who's going to be in this thing has already been decided, and so... We're going to just sit back and wait for Jesus to come. And of course, this led them into laziness and apathy toward their neighbors, to society, and even at some level to their own experiences, because they were like, we're in. We're just going to wait for Jesus to come. It was wrong, this idea of the shut door. In fact, it was immoral. God has always called his people to be engaged in the world in helpful and meaningful ways, not to sit back and just wait for the return of Jesus to come. Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus' most famous sermon, he says this, You are the salt of the earth, talking about people who are a part of the kingdom. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put light in a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, our good deeds, our work in our communities, our work in society at large are designed to bring glory to God in heaven. We have to be engaged in the world at large, salt and light. The implication is clear. Now, imagine if the early Adventists said, Jesus is coming soon. So why abolish slavery? Thankfully, they got over that shut door bad theology fairly quickly. And getting over that, they came to the realization that they need to be involved in society's issues. And so slavery was one. Thankfully, they didn't didn't say that. They didn't say, Jesus is coming. Why worry about slavery? No, early Adventists, many of them were deeply involved in the abolitionist movement. The Adventist church was formally started just months after the Emancipation Proclamation. And early Adventists had been been very active in pushing for the emancipation. They were also actively engaged in the movement for women's suffrage and many other social justice movements because their faith in the soon-coming Jesus inspired them to be better citizens in the present world. This is our calling, too. God is calling us to be actively engaged in our larger community, not to sequester ourselves, but to work for the good of our communities because this matters. Secondly, Adventists have avoided civic engagement in political positions because we believe evangelism, I'm going to use the air quotes a couple of times today, evangelism is our primary Christian purpose as a church this is what we we believe and as not only as a church but as individuals but then interpret evangelism as primarily communicating doctrinal facts and getting other people to believe those facts we hand out booklets we conduct evangelistic meetings we do friendship evangelism we host bible studies all with the hopes that we will convince people to believe the same ideas that we believe, all because at some level, if we're really honest, we idolize ideas. But when focusing on an idea, it is really easy to miss the crucial point of the good news. You know, evangelism, which is literally communicating good news, isn't about getting people to acknowledge the validity of a set of ideas. Evangelism, according to the Bible, is about introducing people to Jesus, to human person. Imagine if you were a tasked with introducing one friend to another friend, and uh, all you did was give out a booklet describing the one friend to the other friend. That'd be weird. What a weird way to to get two people to know each other or all you did was talk about why the friend had insisted on let's say celebrating their birthday on a very particular day it's a weird strategy for getting two people to know each other introducing people to jesus is indeed one of the primary functions of the church but let's not turn jesus the god who became flesh and blood into an idea a Christian theologian and author, N.T. Wright, he said it like this. The word became flesh, said St. John. And the church has turned the flesh back into words. Words of good advice, words of comfort, words of wisdom and encouragement, yes. But what changes the world is flesh. Words with skin on them, words that hug you and cry with you and play with you. And love you and rebuke you and build houses with you and teach your children in school. And T. Wright was right on. You see, if sharing the good news only means that we tell people about ideas, we have a view of evangelism that is way too small. Evangelism is then really representing Jesus, being Jesus, hands and feet in a broken world. Yes, this will involve some sharing of ideas, but being an ambassador for Jesus in this world, and that's what the apostles thought of themselves as ambassadors for Jesus, also meaning, means loving the unlovable, fighting for justice, and, and for those who have been treated unfairly, and using whatever privilege you may have to bring privilege to everyone. This is the testimony of the apostles. The gospel has to be flesh And blood has to be more than just an idea. Now, this afternoon, we're going to celebrate this as we have at most of our pop-ups. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together, the bread and the juice, the body, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus into ourselves. See, Jesus is flesh and blood. He is more than an idea. He is a person. And evangelism is about sharing the person of Jesus, not just the idea. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. (laughs) How much clearer does God have to be? Talk is cheap. Words and speech aren't what do it. The gospel is power and action and truth. And finally, Adventists have to embrace this. We've avoided civic engagement for too long. God is calling us to be engaged in this broken world and be flesh and blood to the hurting and need communities that we are surrounded with, that we live in, that we are a part of, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Finally, Adventists have avoided civic engagement and political positions because we like the idea of being special people, supposedly separated from the world and above the fray, and therefore we neglect harmonizing our faith and our beliefs about how the world should work or how a government should work. You know, this special deal that Adventists have being obsessed over, that we are special, I think is really killing our engagement in society at large and hindering our ability to do good in the world. Uh, For example, and to the great shame of Adventist administrators in the 1950s and 60s, they instructed Adventist clergy and Adventist pastors not to get involved in the civil rights movement. It's a shameful part of our history and one that is incongruent with the radical spirit of early Adventism's social activism. I mean, the idea was, you know, we, we, we can't get involved in these worldly things of, of fighting for justice for those who have been mistreated. We can't be involved in that. So clergy, if you, you do get involved with it, you can't be a part of us. That was literally the message. The clergy were instructed by administrators not to get involved, to not speak out against social justice issues in the civil rights movement. I mean, come on, what are we here for if we're not to to, to speak out for justice in a broken world? Disengagement is unacceptable. I mean, Jesus said this himself, Matthew chapter 25, verse 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will tell them, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, whatever you did for the person who was hurting and broken in need, this you did for me. How can we just be disengaged from society at large and really, really be a part of the kingdom of heaven? It doesn't make sense. Don't get involved is a cop-out and it leads to two problematic outcomes. Adventists would rather not be bothered with the affairs of the state and just focus on being spiritual. So being spiritual is one outcome. We can't can't worry about what's going on around us in the the world. We are too spiritual for that. We got to focus on our spiritual community. It doesn't make sense, and then conversely, uh, we have a, the, the we, we we vote. We're involved in, in politics in some way. We're involved in community by 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 voting. But then, because we we see them as as separate from our spiritual life, we vote for our self interest and leave Jesus out of the decision altogether. It doesn't make sense this compartmentalization i mean look if you're in the world if you're a part of the world unless you're going to go live off in the wilderness you're going to have some engagement and so so but 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 if you're not integrated in your life if you're compartmentalizing things then these these elements are going to be broken and we're going to be broken and we're not going to contribute to the society that needs people who are guided by the spirit of god god is calling us to be engaged with our community to love our community. And so where do we go from here with these ingrained practices as part of this tradition, this Adventist tradition of disconnection? How do we overcome apathy and become better citizens in our communities? Well, Jesus said, God loves the world. John three sixteen, the most famous Verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is such an essential idea. God loves the world. And because God loves the world, Jesus worked for the good of humans in the here and now. Think of Matthew chapter four that tells us that Jesus went throughout Galilee. It's a real place. At a real time in human history, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and then healing every disease and sickness among the people. See, Jesus wasn't just about ideas. He didn't just talk to them about some kingdom, theoretically. He healed the diseases and sicknesses among the people. And then we're told news about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. He healed them. I mean, imagine if Jesus came and he only talked about what was going to happen when he came again at some point in the future. Didn't do anything for them now, only talked about, I'll be back, I'll be back, don't worry about it, I'm coming back. Maybe soon, maybe a long time, I'll come back. How unsatisfying that would be but no that's not how jesus acted jesus came and healed people he worked for the benefit of people in the here and now you know we're told jesus was in the synagogue which wasn't just a place for worship but was a place for social action i mean they came together in the synagogue to deal with matters of the the community as well as their religious services jesus first sermon first sermon in his hometown was in the synagogue, and it was about social justice. Luke chapter 4 is where you can find it. Verse 16, we're told that Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. They invited him to preach that day. And so he opened the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, because it was handed to him. He unrolled it, and he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, we're told. And he began his sermon by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. See, when Jesus came, he was concerned about what was happening in the here and now. And he came with a message, but not just a message. He came with actions to show what the kingdom is really like, where there's healing and reconciliation, fixing of the brokenness. And then Jesus died because he cared about people and wanted to see all of us flourish, not just when he returned, but in the present, in the here and now, because Jesus' death doesn't have implications just for some point in the future when he returns again. Jesus' death has implications for us in the here and the now. God is calling us to be engaged in our community at large. His example shows us what it means to be engaged He helped those who were hurting and in need and broken. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. You know, some Christians, many Christians, have taken this engagement with civic government and politics too far. And sadly, history is littered with Christians who have been obsessed with political power and sought to enforce their interpretations of Bible principles through legislation. This is inappropriate. It's certainly an inappropriate application of God's command for us to be engaged in our society. Remember what Jeremiah had said back that inspired Nehemiah, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which you have been carried. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This is not a message of, of gain for yourself or to gain power. Uh, God is calling us to be engaged with the community for the community's good. Seek the prosperity of the city. This is what Nehemiah was about. He cared about his community, the community that he lived in, the community from which his forefathers came from. And he was inspired to go and help. This inspiration came from God, not to get his own power, not to go and be some political ruler on himself. He was concerned about people, concerned about the community, and God gave him that inspiration. As we express faith in Jesus, we too can be empowered to engage in ways that are appropriate and helpful to our communities, not overpowering, not for our own gain. Because of Jesus' sacrificial work on our behalf, we can be empowered to be more active in the building up of our communities for the good of the community, not because we seek power or wealth or because we are uh, inspired by something else. We be inspired by the spirit of Jesus who longs for a just world where people are allowed to flourish first John chapter 3 16 the companion to John 3 16 first John chapter 3 verse 16 says this this is how we know what love is Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in humanity If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. (laughs) There it is again. Talk is cheap. Ideas are insufficient. God is calling us to be people of actions and in truth. Jesus has come and done it before us, and now the great promises: as we confess faith in Him, we too can be empowered with the power of the Spirit. Because we believe Jesus died and rose again, and because we believe Jesus is going to return again, we can be council people in our local communities. We can attend our community board meetings. We can get jobs as public servants. We can volunteer and. In ways in which serve the community. We can be the flesh and the blood, the arms and feet of Jesus as he's called us to be in this broken world. There are many already among us in our community here in the Avon Hope community, or nurses and doctors, government officials, bus drivers, emergency dispatchers, people who are doing God's good work in this community. And we're thankful for the work that God has enabled you to do for those of you who are in there, those areas. But all of us, are called to serve our community in some way. And so if your job doesn't, uh, doesn't facilitate that, then we can volunteer and we can get involved and we should get involved and be engaged in the community so that we are salt and light in this broken world. The world needs the people of God to be engaged and to be a loving and sweet aroma to the brokenness that we see all around us. And so now may all of us Be inspired to get engaged with our local communities. Again, serve on your local community board. You can volunteer. They're always looking for people to be a part of the community board. Volunteer for, at this time, for the election poll sites. Run for city office. Do God's work in this city. Allow God to work within you to be empowered, to be good for this broken world, for your broken community, for your city for wherever you are, for the community that you're in, and may God empower us as he did the prophet Nehemiah to do good for this world. And may more come to know Jesus through the work he empowers you to do right here and right now in the present. Amen.